St. Petersburg. It's seen its share of bullets and betrayal over the years. I suspect both guards and soldiers here are well-trained and highly suspicious of foreigners. I have to rely on the element of surprise. They don't expect me. And if I keep it cool, clean and quiet, they'll never know what hit them. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Hitman Retrospective Series. I want you to know I'm a big fan of your work, 47. It's an honor to meet a legend. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. The games. What makes you think this is a game? Hosted by Arnie. This man truly is the best at what he does. Justin. You know you're really quite charming when you aren't killing people. And Stuart. These men are selected at birth. They are made experts in every aspect of combat and programmed for one purpose, to kill. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. How do you think we should proceed, huh? How about go fuck yourself? Listener discretion is advised. What are you going to do? What I do. I'm your Today we're discussing Hitman, starring Timothy Oliphant, Dogre Scott, Robert Nepper, Olga Kurilenko, directed by Xavier Jens. Where I was raised, they didn't give us names, they gave us numbers. Mine was 69. When I co-host Now Playing, I go by the alias of Arnie. <laughs> God. Unlucky 13, Stuart here. <laughs> oh, the number jokes are out there. This is Justin. Justin, you're our number one. You're the New Year's baby. Hey. hey. Birth date 1-1. One, one. So happy birthday. <laughs> oh, it's your birthday? And we're doing this to you? <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> All I need to know about Hitman. I remember this as a kid. I'd go to see a movie, and if the trailers were shit, I'd be like, oh boy, I'm in for it. But if the trailers were good, I'd be like, okay, this is going to be a good movie. The trailers that played when I put in my Hitman Blu-ray, AVP Requiem, followed by Live Free or Die Hard. I'm like, okay, where's the lube? I'm going to need some. Yeah, you know, I worked at Fox at this time. We've talked about Max Payne, another video game movie that they made. You know, they struggled in those years to make hit movies. They didn't want to put a lot of money into it. They had a roster of people, people they worked with again and again. It wasn't whether they were great or not. It was just more of like, yeah, they showed up and they turned in the project on time and somewhat on budget. And Hitman was a modest hit. I mean, it's hard to say that it was a blockbuster, but it doubled the profits of the budget and internationally this thing got pushed over a hundred million so i guess there are people out there that know this property and like it i never watched it while i was there i just didn't feel like it was something that i needed to see i had no knowledge of the video game and i suspected wrongly the video game was some kind of shooter in which you were in a futuristic world and everyone <laughs> looked bald and you had to shoot i don't know maybe the people with hair <laughs> <laughs> and to Put it in perspective, this movie only costs 25 million. So when you say 100 million, most people are like, that's it? I mean, if Aquaman made 100 million, it would be doom. But for a $25 million movie, no, it's like the $5 blackjack table. Low risk, low reward. That's how Fox played it every year. 
I saw this as soon as it came out on video because I was a fan of the Hitman video game. The first Hitman game came out in late 2000, and that was probably the apex of my video gaming life. I had ReviewGames.com, where I'd alternate. I'd go through all the classic games chronologically, but then every other review, and I can't say every other week because it took me sometimes a month to play a game or something because games could take 40, 80 hours to beat, but I'd intersperse it with, I'd have like Leisure Suit Larry, The Sims, King's Quest, Hitman, and Hitman was a big PC game back then that looked really exciting. I bought it day one that it came out. I was reading, of course, all the game magazines. I knew it was coming. I'd seen the ads. I'd read interviews with the developers. But what's cooler than being an assassin? I realized I've always had a love for assassins. Just thinking they're so badass with their sniper rifles and their demeanor and how they walk in. They have no emotional attachment. And if they're good, they walk out again. I mean, I think about The Professional, Luc Besson's film with Jean Reno. Well, you should think about that a lot because that was definitely a source of inspiration for that video game. I always wanted to see the relationship between movie and video game. And what I thought was interesting about this property, again, I've never played it. I've investigated a little bit for the show looking online at walkthroughs and such. But this was developed by Nordisk Film Studio, an actual Scandinavian film company. They wanted to get into the video game market. And so they went to some Danish programmers and said, hey, let's make something like Leon and John Woo. They were going completely John Woo at first, the developers. And then what happened is Stealth Games got in. I don't know if you've played either of these. There was one called Thief that came out in the late 90s. And then one of my like all-time favorite games is called Deus Ex. And it was a stealth game, futuristic, kind of a Blade Runner type world. Just a great story, but you didn't run in guns blazing. It was all about being secretive and sneaking and things. Because in real life, God, we have seen too many examples of this, I suppose. You walk into a room with a gun and start firing and you don't usually walk out again. That's where things like Wolfenstein and games like that lose realism. And they started to be a bit more realistic, slightly, with these games where you had to use stealth and get past people and stay to the shadows and not be seen. Truthfully, I'll just put it out there. That's not my type of game. I'm a guns blazing kind of guy. <laughs> I'm not really one for stealth. That's how I want to handle all conflicts. Just shoot them all. <laughs> I think I would have enjoyed this game, knowing that it wasn't a shooter. I just never liked the shooter and this isn't exactly that because you are putting on disguises you are sneaking around talking to people you kill people and it can be creative it's not always even with a gun sometimes you can inject them poison them choke them out whatever i like neck snapping <laughs> see i think this is a franchise of a video game that suffers at least for me from having too generic of a name once again you know i remember seeing ads for this game. I remember seeing this game on the shelf and the name Hitman, I just assumed it was some sort of mafia thing. And I wasn't interested in that. But if I would have known it was like this spy thriller assassin type of thing, I probably would have picked it up and tried it out back then. Well, you can try it now. A game just called Hitman came out in 2016 and kind of reinvigorated the franchise. Hitman 2 came out in late 18. I've played both of these. Yep, still not my game. <laughs> still want to go in guns blazing. <laughs> but I think they're very good games. They're just not the type I usually turn to for fun. Here's what I can tell you is 
like I've said, games often shoot for 40 hours. That was the game developer mantra. We want to give people 40 hours of gameplay for their money so they feel they're getting their money's worth. I looked online because I realized I'd never even passed level 2 of Hitman back in 2000. And it's because it's a hard-ass game. You're this master Hitman, not because you're actually good, but because you have infinite attempts to not fail. And when you are good at the game, it turns out that's a three-hour game that takes most people 40 hours to play because you have to try each level like two dozen times. It's almost a puzzle game, these early ones. The newer ones are a little less puzzly and a little bit more open world as technology advanced. But the old ones, it's almost like, I need to snipe this guy. There are four buildings I can climb up. Which one gives me the good vantage? Which one keeps me closest to the elevator so I can escape again? How do I place the gun so I can get past the guy giving me the pat down? All of those types of things. So I really felt it was more puzzling than excitement. But logistical problems. But the franchise has continued. I watched all the bonus features. You know, I've come not to praise Fox, but to bury it. You know, Fox is no more. And I am not going to miss Fox putting hours and hours of bonus features on movies that don't deserve them. But I watched every featurette for Hitman. Not to show too much of my hand on this movie. I think you showed everything. But please continue. <laughs> what could they possibly say about it? <laughs> they kept saying... Agent 47 is one of the most iconic characters in video games. And Marjorie was sitting next to me during it, and she's like, is he? I go, have you ever heard of Agent 47? She says, no. I said, have you heard of Mario? She said, yes. <laughs> I've heard of Agent 409. <laughs> it cleans up real good. And he looks like Mr. Clean, so I don't know what's going on here. I would have thought the bald look was in. I mean, what made this really stand out is Agent 47. The first game was called Hitman Codename 47, and it was right there in the ads. You're a clone. You have a barcode on the back of your head. You are a genetically engineered killer, and that's awesome. And the bald head, think about the 90s and bald heads. Bruce Willis, Vin Diesel, Jason Statham. It turns out they wanted him to have hair, but they couldn't figure out a way to do it. That just didn't look right because it was polyagonal. And so they made him bald. And then they realized he was bland. So they put a barcode on the back of his head just because it looked more visually interesting. <laughs> yeah, the early games do look a lot like maybe the later Tomb Raiders. There's a similar kind of polygon quality to the graphics. But that is what really, I think, made the games continue was, yes, the gameplay is fun. And it's really kick-ass to be a hitman and have a high-powered sniper rifle. And you say you're not good at aiming. This game would frustrate you, Stuart. You get one shot. Mm -hmm. You miss, you lose. <laughs> yeah, that's not a game I would play. Yeah. But it kept going. There were three of them, plus a redo with better graphics. Where it really took off was Hitman 2. The original Hitman Codename 47 was PC only. With Hitman 2, they started going for the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox systems and got a lot more traction there. So it makes sense, I suppose, if you're sitting around and like, apparently there's money in video game movies. I don't know who's ever said that. They keep thinking it, but I could see why you might go to this one. The flaw of this, though, is Hitman, by and large, as a series is not one that has a story. It's not like you, the hitman, 
have a story. There are two or three games out of a dozen or more where you are involved in the story. But the point is, you are a hitman. You have no friends. You have nothing. You have an agency who gives you a computer. Missions come up on the computer. You go kill people. You don't know these people. You have no involvement. Your only job is to go kill people who have interesting lives, and your interest is in killing them. I think it can be argued in a video game realm, especially where we are in the arcade here, maybe having a premise is better than having a story that you need to translate the film. Yeah, but I mean, if you're essentially saying the character is a clone with no backstory, how are you going to get a good actor to play that? And what are they going to do? How do you make them the central character? I suppose it would be something to flip expectations and have the hitman be the bad guy and give us main characters we like trying not to get knocked off. But that's not how they went with this film. And if you're making the movie based on the game, sure, every so often you might get something like Marvel Comics Man-Thing where they're going to completely not be like the comics. But I think all of these video game movies from the behind the scenes stuff I've seen, the game developers are interested and involved and want their game represented. Actually, this movie came out shortly after Hitman Blood Money. The franchise was very vital. That was its conceivably its peak. And this movie came out one year later. I don't think they'd want a movie that takes their games, dare I call him a protagonist if he has no story, but their game's avatar and ends with him in a pile of blood. And that one actually did try to incorporate a little bit more mythology about Shadow Corporation and Agent 47 got this female sidekick. They did try and have him explore where he came from and the science behind it. So there was some attempt to say that his world is larger than whatever mission he's been sent on. And even part one did that. It turned out, you didn't know this until the end, but Agent 47 is the product of five people's DNA combined, and the people you're killing in the very first game are four of the five. And you end by killing the fifth, and then there's an army of clones of you. So it is his story, but that's not what you're playing for. It turns out that's like almost an Easter egg that, oh, it was about you the whole time. But most of the time, you're just killing gang members, triad members. Hell, I had to kill a fashion mogul in the Hitman 2 that just came out. I mean, it's <laughs> whatever you need to kill. And it's fun in its real world physics. The greater the world, the more fun it is. I loved that I garroted some Panama Jack looking dude, took his clothes, just walked right on a boat, walked up to somebody and shot him in the head. It was fun. But <laughs> Okay, so if this game, if it sounds like its central appeal is violence, it does now sort of make sense to me that they went with a horror director. Fox was pulling Frenchmen over from that emerging slasher genre. We talked about it with High Tension. On that show, France has a whole history of kind of remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the French countryside, and Xavier Jins is one of those directors that did that. He did not make High Tension, he made Frontiers which I did go back and watch to see why would this get him a gig on Hitman? Well, the answer is a lot of limbs, a lot of severed limbs. It's a torture porn movie, It's which is kind of disappointing for me. It actually starts with an interesting subtext. There's a group of Arab thieves. There's a riot in Paris 
because a new nationalist president has taken power and they're trying to go on the run and they try to hide out in a motel, they end up being tortured and eaten by Nazis. You know, if that sounds disappointing, it's even more disappointing at 100 minutes. I was like, <laughs> I feel like you were building to something else. I guess the guy was good. There are a couple gruesome moments. I think he showed some skill in that on a limited budget. He was able to get a lot out of his special effects, practical effects budget. But it isn't the best horror movie I've ever seen. And Hitman isn't necessarily a horror movie. So the only comparative I can think of is he's probably cheap. And he claimed to be a fan of the game, and he could at least, all the people in Frontiers are bald, so it would be a, an easy visual translation. Maybe it's still some of the same cast that they have, and when we see people shot in the head, they can just go back to the Frontiers dummies and shoot those. Well, a couple of things about Xavier. First of all, I'm pretty sure this one was almost directed by James Gunn. James Gunn revealed very obliquely that he was in talks with Fox to direct a Hitman movie. One of the two, obviously. Fox wanted a PG-13 Hitman movie. And James Gunn came in and said, there's no way I can do a PG-13 Hitman movie for you. Here's my vision. And Fox is like, no, no, we're not going to do that. So they brought in Xavier. Although they released it R. They also fired Xavier. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At what point? It was after the shoot in editing. He delivered his cut and Fox said, nope, you're fired. <laughs> yeah. They wanted something that, again, with a lower rating, they presume they can get a bigger audience. But that's not always the case. Sometimes if you make a really good, violent, R-rated movie, the fans will come. They'll find a way to buy the ticket. And just because gamers are under 18 doesn't mean they won't pay to see it. So they brought in Nicholas Detoth. I don't know him, but he did this exact same thing for Live Free or Die Hard. They got rid of that director and brought in this guy to edit it to a PG-13 and do reshoots needed to get it to a PG-13. They brought in Nicholas Detoff. He CGI'd some things so that people didn't lose limbs, re-edited, refilmed some fight scenes. The whole sword fight, Nicholas Detoff's, that was not Xavier's thing. And it still ended up in R rating. I don't know at what point Fox decided to cut bait rather than keep fishing for that lower rating a thanksgiving movie at that i mean come on grab grandma let's all go see hitman <laughs> it was supposed to be earlier it got pushed because of all the reshoots i noticed that one of the executive producers is vin diesel you mentioned earlier about bald chic in action movies he's definitely one that you would think if your main character's defining trait is i'm a bald tough guy was vin on the line to play this character yeah absolutely when they got the script and they got the director, Vin decided he wasn't going to do it, but he'd put so much work into developing this product. I mean, they started working on this film in 2003. So it was a four-year process of different stars, different directors, different scripts. I don't know why you end up with Timothy Oliphant. It's a strange choice that he shaved his head to do this part because Deadwood is one of my favorite TV series. He's not the reason why I love that show. He is the Clint Eastwood character where everyone else is kind of playing a Shakespearean character. He's kind of the classic cowboy. He works in the context of the show, but I didn't find him to be a standout there. And in any other part that he's played until Justified, 
I don't think that he had a breakout until 2010 on that FX show. He was the bad guy in Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah, and he was no Alan Rickman. <laughs> he got the job for two reasons. First, after Vin passed, they're like, Jason Statham. Obviously Jason Statham. Yeah, obviously. He's the mechanic. He's the transporter. He's in Snatch. But apparently he had played too many suit-wearing assassins because Jason Statham said no. So let me put you in the mind of Timothy Oliphant, mm -hmm. who said, yeah, I will never do a sequel to this. Mm. You're Timothy Oliphant. You're working on Deadwood. You've got a good gig there. It's going well. People love the show. You buy a big house in the Hollywood Hills, mm -hmm. and then HBO pulls the plug on Deadwood suddenly with oh. no notice. Oh, yeah, that was a very famous cancellation. <laughs> Milch found out he wasn't getting paid enough money, and even though it was a hit, he decided he could make more money developing a really terrible show and canceled the show everyone loved. Yeah, I was crushed when that happened. So Oliphant was crushed too, because crushed under house debt and needed a job to pay for his house. Anything would do, and he was already working with Fox and all these folk on Live Free or Die Hard. Shave my head? Yeah, I'll shave my head to pay my mortgage. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> he's not entirely right for it. I don't know who would be, but the ones we're listing here, Diesel and Statham, even Willis, would make more sense. He's awful in this as far as casting goes. And the worst part of him, he looks the part when you shave his head. In fact, there's certain scenes early on here where I almost wondered if he was completely CGI. He just looked like a video game character. And I'm not talking action scenes where they might have CGI'd him. I'm talking just dialogue scenes. But his voice does not have a Hitman-ish kind of tone to it. If he's going to be your Robocop, for lack of a better term, you know, a genetically engineered killer with very little emotion and everything, this guy has kind of the wrong voice for that. He did an admirable Eastwood impersonation on Deadwood, but he's not doing a voice in this. He's using his natural speaking voice, and it sounds like because he didn't care about creating a character here or doing much with it. It was a house payment. Kind of feels that way. Well, which version did you guys see? Did you see the theatrical R-ish rated cut, or did you find this unrated cut, which is, I think, a little more prominent now? It took a little digging, but I got to watch both. Yay me. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> the unrated cut is the one that's everywhere. If you have this on home video, Blu-ray, DVD, you have the unrated cut. If you've purchased this through most digital download places, you have the unrated cut. It turned out, though, iTunes did have the R-rated cut. It is one of the softest R's I have ever seen. Other than the fact that I know you can only say fuck once in a PG-13 film. And within 30 seconds of this film, somebody says fuck. And I'm like, okay, did they get it out of the way early? Or no, they say fuck a lot in this film. Other than that, I think that movie could have been PG-13. It sounds like Fox wanted it to be. Thought it should be. And then the unrated cut certainly has more gore. It seems like the R-rated cut was the real cut. With Live Free or Die Hard, they made a PG-13 cut, and then they actually CGI'd in more blood and sold it on video as unrated. Mm. Here, I think the blood was already there, and they CGI'd some of it out. The scenes that Xavier directed that got cut were exceptionally gory, like bullets through the arm, blood hitting the lens. It was fun stuff. I mean, it 
it was good action, but it was not PG-13. Yeah, again, that's reminding me of Frontiers. That's the whole reason to see his horror movie is because that is ultimately what half that film was about, just watching people get pokers in the eyes and arms cut off. It happens in the beginning of this movie. Arnie, why don't we get into it? Give him the plot. We'll talk about Hitman. Timothy Oliphant is Agent 47. As a child, he was an orphan. No, not genetically engineered. When they recut Xavier's film... They cut out everything about cloning. And now he's just an orphan trained to be the best assassin in the world. Agent 47 was top of his class. He's been killing for years. And for the last three of those years, he's been hunted by Interpol agent Mike Whittier, played by Gray Scott. When the movie begins, Agent 47 is given a contract to kill moderate, American-friendly Russian President Mikhail Belikov, played by Ulrich Thompson. A caveat is that the hit must be public. 47 agrees, and using a sniper rifle, he makes the kill with a headshot. But after, 47 is notified by his agency that he was spotted. More, it appears Belikov is still alive, appearing on TV having been grazed, but 47 is positive he got a clean shot in the middle of the man's forehead. 47 goes to kill the witness, a prostitute named Nika, played by Olga Kurilenko, but 47 quickly realizes it's a setup. This woman's never seen him before. Indeed, other hitmen from 47's agency are trying to kill 47 and Nika. See, Belikov is dead. He had a decoy to avoid assassination, but the decoy decided to perform a coup. 47 killed the real Belikov, and the decoy, who was also played by Ulrich Thompson, of course, was going to take over. He was aided in this by Russian FSB agent Yuri Marklov, played by Robert Nepper. The two people who could expose this is 47, who knows the real Belkoff was shot, and Nika, who was Belkoff's private sex worker. So 47 takes Nika under his protection and follows this mystery up the ladder while running from both the Russian FSB and Interpol, who are not working together as Yuri wants to be sure Interpol doesn't find out about the coup. 47 kills Belikov's drug-dealing, weapons-dealing, human-trafficker brother Udre, played by Thomas Ian Cusack, and then captures Yuri, forcing Yuri to give his agents the order to kill the fake Belikov at Udre's funeral. The double escapes, but 47 was waiting and kills the man. But there's no way out for 47. He's captured by Interpol. But he had made a deal with CIA agent Smith, played by James Faulkner. The CIA wanted Udre gone, and in exchange for doing that, the CIA aids 47 in escaping Interpol custody. And as the movie ends, we see 47 watching over Nika, killing yet another assassin who tried to kill the woman, as credits roll. Okay, your plot summary was helpful. I was like, oh, is that what happened? Great, let's get into <laughs> it. We'll talk about these details. There's a reason I'm like, all right, what the hell? I'll watch the R-rated cut too. I want to just be sure I got some of these intricacies. This movie is convoluted. I would use the word confusing. Right from the get-go, I didn't know that we weren't supposed to realize they were cloned. I had seen enough about the video game to just think that that's why we have this Vienna Boys Choir of bald kids it's seen as a religious rite like you shave your head you get the barcode tattoo a few people may try to scale a barbed wire fence and get shot but for the most part these kids are happy to be bald assassins 
<laughs> Some of these opening shots really reminded me of the old Pink Floyd and other brick in the wall video. I mean, we have kids marching in unison down the hallway and then sitting in a classroom. And I wasn't sure what we were getting into here. But yeah, the flashbacks help establish that we're looking at not just one person. We're looking at a crew of people that are special agents. I thought you were going to say, Justin, that it reminded you of the TV show Dark Angel, because that's where they got half the footage. <laughs> really? When this was reshot. The bald stuff and the tattooing was original footage in DeToth's redo. They're like, Fox owns footage of Dark Angel and has kids climbing fences. Let's put a sniper scope on it. Oh, wow. Shit. <laughs> you know what? These kinds of chicks. Yeah, they did that. <laughs> They, I mean, they made Requiem. I'm just going to say they did not treat franchises well at this era. And you said this is a Thanksgiving movie. It's opening with a Christmas song. Ave Maria. It's putting me in the Christmas spirit. Uh, so here's the thing. I thought the game was sci-fi because why else the bald head? And I thought it happened in a futuristic world. There's this whole organization and all of that. I In any other movie I've seen, that's admittedly, they're all sci-fi. I've seen movies where it's about clones. I've seen movies where people are androids, they're killing machines, they realize they aren't who they think they are. The story would be about them finding their true identity. The shock of this movie is that Timothy Oliphant has no identity crisis whatsoever. That he came from this boy's Vienna choir or from around the block, it just didn't even matter where he came from. They could have cut this opening and everything about the organization because who he is and how he became this way is of no concern to him. And consequently, they're telling us the audience shouldn't care either. Okay, I get the same thing. Now, according to all the fans and the bonus features, this movie shows a character in struggle. The fact that he's reading an article about men, how to talk to women and things, I'm like, is Agent 47 horny? <laughs> What's going on here? He's trying to become more human. He's trying to unprogram himself and have more emotion. And this is their idea of a love story, what happens between him and Nika in this film. But it's as much of a love story as 47 is able to give. You know, it's funny you said that because after your plot summary, what I was thinking was is whoever pitched this movie, the elevator pitches, they say, like, it probably came down to this is the heartwarming tale of a contract killer bred from childhood to assassinate without remorse that learns how to love a Russian sex worker. <laughs> yeah. Or at least throw her in the trunk and occasionally feed her. I mean, this love story, we'll get there, but... There is no one that's going to be welling up with tears. No, no, I have the elevator pitch for this. Hey, you know how the Born Identity made a shit ton of money? Let's call it Hitman. <laughs> but again, Born Identity, exactly. Who am I? The quest to find oneself and then to distance oneself from the cruel acts that they've done is exactly the kind of movie I thought we would get and will never be even hinted at in this film. They don't even try to tell a Born Identity story. There is no identity that matters. They don't try to tell a character arc from the Born Identity but this movie takes more from Matt Damon than it does from Eidos Entertainment. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, admittedly, these films are popular at the time this movie is made, and the whole Hitman video game series is a hodgepodge of references to Hollywood's take on the Hitman assassins. So that they want to throw in what's popular and do what's trendy. Okay, but I just feel like if you're a filmmaker... Your job is to go beyond what the video game did and to tell a story. That should be an easy story to tell if your guy is a clone. But if you're interested in human drama and things, I don't know that you'd hire a Frenchman 
you hire a foreign director to bring action and visual style. You don't usually hire them to bring great dialogue, nor do you hire fucking Skip Woods, this man who wrote Live Free or Die Hard, which still may be the Die Hard film I'm most angry about. It's not the worst, but it's the one that pisses me off the most. And Swordfish, another shit show, and he'd go on to do X-Men Origins Wolverine, another shit show that I love. I was about to say, I think you recommended that one, but yes, he has written things that I don't like, and he will write the sequel to this movie as well. He'll be the only creative force that stays on as this franchise continues. Somehow, I feel like he's the Milton of Fox Studios. Like, (laughs) they just forgot to fire him, and he kept doing stuff. No joke, there was a lot of people sitting around just why did they leave you here i had that question often and it's like yeah people were allowed to fail up or at least fail sideways they could just continue (laughs) to do what didn't make money the first time but to your point the talent they have behind the camera pushing this the two people who should be interested in that emotional arc you're talking about aren't the people you'd bring in for that so now we're looking at a video game movie can they bring the action if it's not going to have a who am i arc for agent 47 can they at least make it fun and i will say that the opening scenes seem like it will be fun but it also does seem like the question it's really asking because we start off this whole movie is a flashback we start off in dogray scott's house he's the interpol agent Whittier, he's coming home from a long day of hunting Agent 47, and 47's sitting in his office with a gun. Strange editing choice here. I don't know if you guys notice it, but Whittier passes by a child's crayon drawing done by two daughters. I think we even get a shot of them in a framed portrait. We will see when he drops his milk at the sight of this assassin, there is a tiny hand on the carpet. Yes. I think there is a cut of this film in which Hitman assassinated those children and test audiences said, "Uh -uh." I wouldn't doubt it. That sounds like something Xavier would do. Yes. (laughs) Since we know that this movie's not going to be about an inner turmoil of who am I or whatnot, this whole beginning being a flashback is just stupid. Because now we know the two main people that are going to be playing cat and mouse throughout this film survive at least into the next three months to meet again later. But when they're sitting there face to face, what Agent 47 says, and I think he says it like two or three times, is, Are you a good man, Inspector? How does a good man decide when to kill? If you're going to ask that question and then enter a flashback, I expect that flashback to answer that goddamn question. (laughs) We never come back to that question. (laughs) Oh, we do at the very end. But we don't get an answer. That question didn't need to be posed at the beginning if the story wasn't going to go the way that it was trying to set it up. We should have begun in Africa. We should have started in Nigeria. For some reason, in the five years that he's been chasing this guy, they start the story three months ago in a shanty town where the hitman sets up an African warlord. Uh, Blood Diamond, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie about child soldiers had just come out. It was a topic in the news. Where do you get your diamonds and at what cost? This seemed like the right way to set up a bad guy and show that while the hitman may be an assassin, he at least kills the guys you want to see dead. Sometimes. I mean, in the game, he'd dress up like a priest and kill people sometimes too. So There's people that want to see priests dead. (laughs) But here's the quick way to tell if you're watching the R-rated or the unrated cut. If you realize the guy chained up 
is the brother of the warlord mm -hmm. and then you see the brother's arm cut off because he was stealing from the warlord then you're in the unrated cut okay in the r-rated cut there's no arms cut off and it's really hazy who this guy is who's brought in but the reason we have this scene here, the reason we're starting here is, yay, we're showing that the hitman kills bad people sometimes. We're also being shown, though, that the hitman's a badass and effective at his job because the story is going to begin, as all stories do with hitmen, when the job goes south. I have a real problem with hitman movies in that I want to love all of them, but it seems 98% of them are the job went bad and now the person who hired me is going to kill me or I have to kill the person who hired me. It's just a trope. Sometimes it's, oh, they hired me to kill a kid. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the kid on the run. Sometimes it's, oh, I was set up. I'm being burned for whatever reason, like it is here. But assassin stories, be it the movie Assassins with Stallone and Antonio Banderas, the only one I could think of that breaks the trope is really, there's the professional, of course, but Day of the Jackal. That one takes a different tact, but if the assassin is your main character, it's like 100% of the time, the job's going to be a fuck-up, and the rest of the movie's him on the run because of the fuck-up. So we need this early scene to show, hey, this guy's not an incompetent boob. Right. The ones that are incompetent are the people interrogating this brother. I love the fact that they cut off his arm and then take the gag off to ask him questions. Like <laughs> That seems a little bit in reverse. And surprisingly, he's giving very calm answers as he bleeds out. The only problem is he's got like a bow quarter in his throat. <laughs> Because I guess bombs make you sound like Cher. I don't... What, what was that? I thought my internet was cutting out. <laughs> I thought he wasn't able to speak because... I'm very confused. There's stitches in his throat, which would make me think his voice box has been cut out or something. Maybe you ripped out the larynx. Agent 47's a really good assassin, but I don't think I'd trust him to do my transplant operation, so I don't know who did the suturing. But then we see in flashback, it's like he just shoved a foosball down the guy's throat and it turned out to be a remote detonated bomb. So why he can't talk is very fuzzy. Yeah, and why the stitches are there. Maybe he forgot to put batteries in it, so he had to, like, cut his throat open to take it out and charge it and then put it back in. Maybe in Xavier's cut, we got to see the hitman cut open this guy's throat, shove a bomb in, and then sew it back up. And to try to explain it in this cut, we just got a quick insert shot of a hand shoving a ping pong ball into a guy's mouth. We also find out that Whittier is here in Nigeria not trying to stop the warlord. It would make sense to show how he first got on the trail of what he refers to as this ghost assassin. But he's, again, he doesn't care about the warlord. He keeps trying to find this guy that's killing. He's done now a hundred kills. Strange. I would think you'd want an origin story. I mean, if they're going to sit back and reminisce how he first learned about this guy and all the ways that he tracked him would have been a story worth following. This doesn't bother me, though. Of all the things in this movie, Movie. This doesn't bother me that they've had this long-term Coyote Roadrunner relationship and we're coming in in the middle of it. I like the fact that we are dealing with the guy who knows him best. And Doe Gray Scott has the thankless role of Mr. Exposition. 47 isn't going to talk much, and certainly not about himself. Doe Gray Scott has to be the one saying, Oh my god, he's such a badass. Oh my god, he's uncatchable. He's a ghost. Killed a hundred people. Doe Gray Scott is the one who has to tell us this guy is cool. 
Yeah, poor guy. I always think of him. He, you know, he was the man that would be Wolverine. He was cast. They filmed things, and then for whatever reason, Hugh Jackman got the adamantium claws, and this guy was out on his ass doing Bellerophone and Mission Impossible too. But if he is supposed to be of equal importance to Oliphant, you know, if this were the Fugitive, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, everyone loved Tommy Lee Jones as the guy that was chasing Harrison Ford. It would have been a way to play this movie as well but I don't feel like we ever really care about this Interpol agent. He is just the guy that shows up late and looks is left holding an empty bag. And I'm having a hard time following not only his, but everybody else's accents <laughs> seem to come and go from zero to a hundred throughout this movie. Okay, I noticed that too. There were times I'm like, oh, they do have an accent. What I'll give this film is... It is very multinational. You've got Russians and Europeans and Dogre Scott. He's Scottish. You've got all kinds of people coming together. It really feels like a global film in that way. Nigerians. But it does seem like some are being affected. For some reason, I always thought the hitman would have an English accent. He's actually voiced in the games by a South African. So I would have thought he wouldn't have Timothy Oliphant's voice. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought they would have gotten someone other than Timothy Oliphant. It sounds like Timothy Oliphant would have been just fine with that. He's not good in this film. And even though he's a blank slate, I mean, he is, I, I keep calling him a clone, but he is a, a character without a backstory. He exists only to kill people who do have a story. They make a point early on. We see him catch up with him in St. Petersburg. A woman hits at him in a bar for some reason, and he makes a rebuff. Like, he is not a ladies' man. This is not James Bond. Most people think it would be fun to be a spy or an assassin because of all of the international intrigue you could get mixed up in, all the ladies, all the daring do. This guy, he doesn't have any fun with his job, and that makes him really hard to connect with. I thought for sure when she comes over and she's like, they'll kill you for that. And he's like, hmm? you're watering down your scotch. And then she hits on him and he walks away and he puts his hands in an ice machine. I'm like, she's the next target, right? She will be killed. He's going to kill. She's like, oh, my ex-husband was very snobby. And that's how I know about the scotch. So the ex-husband put a hit out on her. He's paying too much alimony. I thought for sure this blonde would come back in some capacity in the next five minutes. Yes. Yeah, I have to put this on Timothy Oliphant because that scene, Stuart, I think you have the right reading of it, but I was waiting for this to pay off in some way. I didn't take it as, oh, he's just uncomfortable around women. I thought maybe something she said tipped him off and that was time to go. The way he played that scene did not tell me, oh, this guy's no ladies' man. But then he's reading that magazine about how to talk to women. And I'm like, that's really weird because a woman was just talking to him. He barely would have had to say anything before her panties were flying across the room the way she was coming on. And he flees back. He's not afraid of Nigerian warlords, but the touch of a woman frightens him. I guess that's what they're going for. 
And he is talking to a woman. Diana is a computer that gives him all of his assignments, lets him know he just got paid for the Africa job. It was a success. As Arnie pointed out, you would think that it would start with a mistake, but no, he's successful at his job. And in fact, they've talked him up as this impossible to catch, never misses. He might be number 47, but he's number one with a bullet. And Agent 47 is now being asked to kill a westernized Russian president. I would think that that would mean this is a popular character that we would want to see alive, and this guy doesn't care about that. He's not with the CIA. He's not with America's interest. You have to really understand no morals. I will kill whatever. I will kill my mother if I get a check. Mm -hmm. So here's a popular westernized Russian president, and he's going to kill him. And then when he finds out he kills the wrong one, he's going to kill the, the betrayer of that. I mean, it won't make any difference to him whether they're right wing, left wing, good for America or bad. Again, death is his only. And in the games, he works for the ICA, not the CIA, the ICA, International Contract Agency. They're basically 1-800-DIAL-A-HIT. And so they've worked with the CIA, as we're going to see in this. He knows a CIA agent named Smith later on. They've worked with Interpol. They have done hits for all of these various international agencies. Sometimes, yeah, he's going to do a hit against American interests. Other times, America's going to be hiring him to go do a hit in their interests. Later on in this movie, he's going to do one for the good old USA. I guess that maybe karmically balances it out, but... Yeah, he is a hitman. And you know what my go-to was around this is I kept thinking of of all the hitman movies. Gross Point Blank, the John Cusack one. <laughs> I love that movie. Because he was <laughs> such a kick-ass hitman, right? And he got his assignments by computer and Joan Cusack and all of that. It just felt like this was a attempt to be more serious than that. But yet, John Cusack did have the hitman crisis of, oh, I won't do this hit. Whereas... Here, he does the hit. He goes and he effectively kills Belikov and he kills a guy who was just standing in the way of his shot for Belikov too, which I thought was pretty awesome. It's like, that's what I need to do. Oh, I thought that was a bodyguard. Whoever it was, he was standing in the way of Belikov's head. So shoot him. He falls. Now I can see Belikov's head and shoot Belikov. Mm -hmm. Well, this is also a point where this movie adds additional confusing elements that aren't helping the movie to feel cool or anything because we come to find out later that the Russians fudged this footage to make it look like somebody took out a innocent bystander first. It may have been an innocent bystander. Seriously. The guy who was shot first is just in the way. No, but what I'm saying is, is the detective was saying, Oh, this isn't our guy because he would never hit this person. And then later on, he's talking to that Russian agent and saying, Oh, you guys doctored this footage to make it look like, an innocent woman was shot and then the bodyguard no 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 no! it's so confusing and so stupid <laughs> you doctored this footage to make it look like an innocent person is standing in front of the lens so we can't see belikov's brains fly out oh okay Jeez. So the fact that there's all this blood and brain matter and skull everywhere, they had to doctor the footage so you don't see that. 
so that when Belikov's double later on walks out from his face-off transplant and has a minor cut on his head, it's able to be bought and nobody's acting like, wait, we have video of his brains flying out. Okay, I missed that. They were covering up the assassination as just an assassination attempt. Uh Uh-huh. I got it. Okay. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. (laughs) I was so in the dark because, again, I'm thinking, oh, this is a cloned assassin. I figured he had killed the wrong guy, but I thought this was their way in to talking about the cloning program and him finding out where he came from and that there were two different guys. It was all going to matter. So what you're meaning to tell me was that this ultra-liberal guy whose brother sells arms... And women and drugs, whatever you need. Right, that's his westernized buddy. They were a problem for hardliner Soviet Union Russians that wanted to see things return to the way that they were back in the Iron Curtain days. And so they had him killed, but they called Diana and said Belikov wants to kill himself because the big reveal is who ordered the hit on this guy? Belikov ordered Belikov's assassination. What is going on? Is Diana a part of the conspiracy? I think suddenly I'm not making a distinguishing between who's out to get Agent 47. It seems like the entire world. Two things to what you've said. First of all, anything about cloning, there's no cloning in this universe. So it's baggage you're bringing in. It's baggage I brought in the first time I saw this movie back in 08. It's baggage every single gamer would be carrying, but it's still not in this movie. So anything about cloning, nowhere in this film. As for the Diana thing, she goes mute because... Agent 47's asking who ordered the hit, all of this, and later, people from his agency are going to be trying to kill him. Right. So, what I am projecting into this film is that Yuri contacted the agency and said, we're going to pay you a buttload of money, but we need somebody to do this hit in public, and then we also need someone to hit the hitman. I don't understand why they wanted it to do in public. If you were trying to have a coup and you have a lookalike, wouldn't you want to kill him in his bed and then wake up the next morning and say, hi? Like, why would you want to have everyone think he was dead so he could say he wasn't? It would only bring suspicion of a double. It would not disguise a double. Exactly right. I have no answer to that. Okay, and then it's even crazier because they're like, there was an eyewitness. Well, you had it in a public place. I would think there would be thousands (laughs) of eyewitnesses. Wasn't that the point? Well, a person who saw him. A person who saw 47. Oh, she was a a construction worker? (laughs) Where the hell would she have been? He's like in an abandoned, half-built building five miles down the street. Which is awesome. Four kilometers. Can you imagine making a shot at four kilometers? That is awesome. (laughs) That's what I love about Hitman. (laughs) Hey, I love the idea that he's going to destroy his weapon. But maybe have it time delayed so it's not happening as you're walking away. So (laughs) it draws attention to your spot. Yeah. Nothing really is making sense is what I want to point out here. And the fact that all of a sudden he's got to find the girl with the dragon tattoo on her cheek (laughs) just is like, wait, why? I listened to your plot summary. She was planted there to... Well, she is the other person who could reveal it's a double because she knows Belikov better than anyone because he, he de- ties her up and beats her. <laughs> and then it's followed by some lovemaking. Right. So everyone's <laughs> going to listen to her. 
Yeah, I believe she's got a lot of clout. None of that makes sense. But the point is, he's told to kill her at this corner, and she's told to come to this corner. She does not see him. She never saw him. It's a setup to kill the two people who know the real Belikov is dead. And as for Olga Kurilenko, man, I feel bad. She is so typecast. Here she is playing the sexy European chick. She was the sexy European chick in Quantum of Solace. She was the sexy Russian chick in Max Payne. Did she go to sexy Russian chick acting school? Yeah, that's how she got the name Olga. Like, you're named Olga, and we will only be calling you the Russian whore from now on. Sorry. And she only uses Helen Bottom Carter's makeup line. Get that smoky eye going on. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the book series was already out. The movies were not. But they are going for girl with a dragon tattoo. That's how uncreative they are. They literally stick that tattoo and the spiky hair look. Except she's not a hacker. She's not an empowered woman. She won't do anything in this plot except be thrown constantly into trunks and drugged on beds. And it's a horrible, horrible, regressive portrait of women that has nothing to do with Stieg Larsson's character. But I think that they just wanted to ride on the European cool of that book series. It's Franca Potente from Born Identity. It is completely the random woman that Matt Damon picks up Marie in Born Identity and takes hostage and ends up becoming the love interest. Yeah, no, she had much more of a part. She ends up bringing family members that protect him and she's a part of this story and makes a choice to be with him. This character will never matter. And in fact, I cannot understand why for the rest of the movie, Agent 47 is keeping her around. Why does he keep involving her? He's trying to get out of town. He would be less conspicuous to be with the person you were supposed to assassinate. It's the hitman trope. I find empathy for my target. I can't kill this one. Even though he literally, well, again, maybe he's not, but I think of him as a clone with no human emotions. Nope. He's he's a child who was an orphan who was raised to be a hitman. And once he's been burned and somebody who looks like an older clone of him is taking shots at him, suddenly he's like, I can't kill this woman. Yeah, right. While he's about to do whatever he's going to do with Dragon Tattoo, I call him Agent 74 because he's like way too old for this job. (laughs) And like he like shoots a pedestrian instead of Agent 47. What's going on? So, yeah, they want to have a lot of cat and mouse. The organization wants to wipe him out. Maybe Diana wants to wipe him out. But then she calls him with tips that a SWAT team's coming. The Russian police are here. The Interpol police are here. You are so right. First of all, kill Belikov. Again, go gross point blank style, poison him. He dies. You hide the body, you incinerate it, you walk out. Second, okay, <laughs> this gets recursive because the two people who can identify the fake Belikov is a prostitute. And the hitman we hire. Right. So now we're hiring another hitman to kill the hitman we hire. Right. So are we going to now hire a third hitman yeah. to, kill the, to <laughs> kill the hitman we hire to kill the hitman we hire? There's plenty of sequels, aren't it? Yeah, just keep the party going. There's a ball. There's plenty of ball guys that are going to pop up later in the train station. They could do this endlessly, but it doesn't make any sense as a plot. And so as a viewer that was trying to understand political intrigue, I now have to let that go and just say, 
say if this is going to work at all, it's going to be because Timothy Oliphant is going to make running down hallways, holding those two guns against his chest and jumping down elevator shafts look cool. The movie will purely work on its cinematic look and its ability to recreate. I'm assuming this is all from the game. None of this is from the game. Well, I mean, this style of you're going down posh hotel hallways and whacking some people and trying not to kill the maid. And I know that there's parts where you look in through trap doors and elevators and stuff. Yeah, there's some of that. One of the things that I really equate with the game is the disguises. You wear a lot of disguises and things. That was added in more in like the train station sequence and things. Some of the stuff they brought in was more from the game, but the game's not a shooter. Here's the thing is, if you have eight people coming after you with guns, you've pretty much lost and you lose points for every innocent you kill. So he's not doing a very good job of playing the game, but No, jumping out windows and using a rope like you're in a low-rent diehard, none of that's from the game. Hmm, okay. And those are very much things that felt like it should be from a game. I mean, the devices, the bomb on the door, that felt like, oh, okay, this is fan service for something they've seen in a game, but apparently, no, it's just a fun spy gadget. Now, that's strange that they're making that, they're writing that stuff in. This is the time where you emulate whatever gameplay is. I mean, I would think that your mission is to tell video gamers now at the 25 minute mark, we're doing the game on the big screen. If you are making Hitman the game into a movie, you are not making an action movie. No, that's not true. Because they're not shooting everyone on screen doesn't mean it's not an action movie. It means stealth. It means, God help me, the saint. A lot of disguises, you know? (laughs) But even the saint has shootouts. And there are some shootouts, especially some of the middle Hitman games. The developers got lazy and put some shootouts in there. But really, if you're at the core of the Hitman game, you're up four kilometers away with your sniper rifle. You take the shot. You go to your car, you go back to your computer, and you find out who you snipe next. That's the game. Mm. Okay, I see. So here, they've decided we're making an action movie. Why? Because the hitman has guns. In all the covers, we see him with the guns, we see him in the cross pose. He looks like he should be Jason Statham in the transporter. So we're going to give him that kind of a plot. Again, he has absolutely no interest in politics. He doesn't care if he killed real Belikov, fake Belikov. He doesn't care if there's a new Belikov. If it's the game, who am I killing next? Where do I go? Back to Niger? Okay. Which is why movie audiences, people that don't play video games, will never connect to this Agent 47. There is no reason to like him. He has nothing of interest going on in his head. I can't root for him when he doesn't even want to live. He just wants to get paid? Okay. And what does he want the money for? Right, exactly. (laughs) Saving up for what? Another rifle? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, in the game, yes. The more money you get, the better weapons you buy. (laughs) Oh, great. It's a resource management game. The biggest problem I'm having with this movie is is all of these problems that we're talking about, it's not apparent to us as a viewer until the credits roll that none of this stuff is going to be resolved. You know, watching this movie, I keep giving it chances. Like, you know, we're in that train station and I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe part of the reason why this guy is a ghost is because we're going to find out it's not just him. It's a team of these guys working together. They all look the same. I didn't come in with that clone mindset, so I wasn't thinking it was a clone program. But I was thinking, oh, well, that might be the reason this society or agency is so successful is because it doesn't matter if they lose one. There's always somebody else that looks just like them to step up and take over the next job. And so they will never be caught out. But no, that's not what they're doing. It's just it looks cool to have a bald head and a barcode on you. 
admittedly, what we have is two different visions. In Xavier's original vision, they were clones, and that was going to be an older clone. He never got deep into the cloning stuff. He was saving it for the sequel. But then when the other guy came in, he's like, you know what would be better and less violent? Let's do a sword fight. And so let's bring in all these stuntmen, make them shave their head. They're obviously not clones of Oliphant <laughs> because they're multi-ethnic, and we're going to have this sword fight. We're going to all point guns at each other and then be like, let's die with honor. And we were all carrying two swords this whole time. As you say, yeah, let's pretend like these guys are all been carrying around 36-inch katanas <laughs> on their back all day long, every day. I wouldn't even care about that stuff if this choreography were anything more than adequate. But this is some pretty mediocre fights. I don't feel like at any point do I feel revved up saying, wow, you know, born that was their talent. Was that even when you couldn't follow the plot, you didn't care because it's so cool to watch them use everyday objects and suddenly a tomato in a newspaper are a method of killing. I'm waiting for that wow factor here. And no, they're just aping other movies. That Mexican standoff with guns was something they did in that Matrix 3, which looks bad then. Like, <laughs> and the sword fighting, all of it. I'm waiting for the cool stuff. I'm looking for the eye candy. And I don't even feel like this movie is really delivering on that. Low budget and muddled visions. And this is what you get. This is just a couple steps above direct-to-video type stuff, like as far as the level of action goes. You can get stuntmen to do backflips pretty cheap. You can get them to do that all day and call it a movie. I mean, I think that's how Jean-Claude made it living in the 90s was direct-to-video action films like that here this is all insert stuff that's going on because there were no others. It was just old bald guy versus young bald guy and old bald guy bled a lot more in Xavier's cut. But yeah, this is all needless because when I was really focusing on the plot summary, I realized, yeah, I can skip like half this movie because it's just they run. And the other thing I didn't even bother bringing up is all the infighting. We've got Yuri. Is Yuri like the Smith of Russian names? It seems like if I'm ever dealing with Russians in a movie, there's a Yuri. Mm -hmm. I would like one of our Russian listeners. We do have some. Let me know if you are named Yuri or if you know someone named Yuri. No, let us know if you know someone that isn't named Yuri. Because we believe you're a nation of Yuris. <laughs> And this is played by Robert Nepper, who you might remember as James Belushi's brother in Twin Peaks, the recent season. He was the one of the casino owners. I actually went to the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind place, and I don't know there is a Twin Peaks season three. Mm. It happened. <laughs> no, it didn't. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, to your point that they have the Russian police, as well as Interpol chasing him, should be adding more to the story. But Yuri is working with the doppelganger to try and smooth this over. They just want to stop the hitman that they hired, and then they can cover all of this up. But he's hiding from Interpol. He's saying, obviously the assassin is CIA, because if it's CIA, that gives us jurisdiction, even though at no point is Whittier saying, why would the CIA want to kill the American-friendly politician? Right. And then we also have some chunky Russian cop who is like bad at his job and gets half his men killed when they infiltrate the hotel. And so he's not working with Yuri. He's working with Whittier. Right. Meanwhile, Michael Ofi is there just like confused constantly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this whole thing is needless. And yeah, here's the thing is it's got just enough action and enough momentum to keep me from being bored. And you're right, Justin, I don't remember this film much from seeing it in 2008. And so watching it, I remember disappointment. I remember not liking it. I remember a general distaste for it, but I didn't remember the plot at all. And I didn't remember also that the star actually wasn't Billy Zane, because <laughs> I thought it was, not Timothy Oliphant. But yeah, I'm trying to figure out if they're going to explain this away, and especially what point does Nika have in all this and what does she see in 47 she's like stripping and crawling atop of him and grinding and he he throat punches her to stop her yeah he'll literally inject her to put her down like a dog you would euthanize <laughs> when she's trying to make love to him this is your love story <laughs> Yeah, I thought I missed like some sort of subplot of how these guys were all like castrated as youth and like <laughs> You'd think it'd be the opposite, right? We haven't seen a woman for an entire adolescence. You'd be like there'd be like a gang mob. Like you'd be worried about the bald guys that are chasing all the women on ladies' night. But no, like the middle of this movie is Agent 47 and Nika going on missions that don't seem to have much to do, but eventually circularly get them back to St. Petersburg. They basically go talk to the head of their agency, Big Baldy, Smith, and in Moscow. This is where I'm really confused, because I thought all those bald guys were trying to kill him, but his boss is not. That's not his boss! It's just a bald guy? <laughs> it's a CIA agent. Agent 47 knows. Did you give him a toupee, like a scarlet purple <laughs> toupee to make him look nothing like the pack of bald guys that are killing him at every turn? Because then I didn't understand. Not only is this guy going to work for them, he's going to give him tips about, well, why don't you pursue the brother and impersonate this arms dealer and all that. But he's going to buy this Russian whore a vineyard. <laughs> Here's what's what going. was that even about? Here's what's going on. Is Smith is from the Hitman games. He's just a CIA guy who thinks he and 47 are friends, and 47 is like, this guy's just an incompetent douche. But he's bald in the games. Not mm. like bald bald, but like got the hit you hair. You change that. I don't care what it is in the games. To help a movie audience that has been told that everything bald is trying to shoot our main character, you create his ally with hair. That's all I'm saying. Uva Bull would have put an American flag on his coat to let us know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Can we at least have some setup for Agent Smith? Isn't it really lucky out of nowhere this guy just... Dace X CIA calls up. Oh, CIA friend, you're going to get me out of everything if I kill a drug runner for you. Yeah. So they were in Moscow. They go to Istanbul. I don't know what happened to the Russians that were bragging. They had every port blocked from St. Petersburg. They got out somehow driving. Like right. And you know that because in the scenes when we're in St. Petersburg, they just say St. Petersburg. But for some reason, when we're in Moscow, they also let us know that Moscow is part of Russia. 
by adding that on. I was like, who are you talking to? Like, who was in charge of, like, the titles here? All I'm saying is, I don't know how they got away. I don't know why he's keeping her around if he's not sexually attracted to her. And I don't know where this... You're saying it's an American. News to me. I don't know where this man that drops out of nowhere comes to give them missions in Istanbul and how they get there. I just don't even understand. I understand the game is mission-based, and so you'd want to have several hits within a movie to make it feel like the game. I'm all cool with that, but I think that this needed to be scripted better, and I do think the hits could be more fun than crashing an Istanbul cafe, like writing your name in the reservation book so you could put some vomit juice in a guy's drink. (laughs) (laughs) But that is mimicking game mechanics more than most of this movie. There's several times in the games where your real target is meeting with somebody, but fortunately they've never met before. So all you have to do is kill the person who they're going to meet and then say you're that person and sometimes wear their clothing. So I don't understand. What did he get from the guy by doing this? They have this whole protracted thing where he gets sick, he goes in the bathroom, and Agent 47 planted the gun in the toilet like he was Michael from The Godfather. Straight from the first game. But what did he get? He got to be that guy to go to the meeting with Belikov's brother. Did he get his wallet? I mean, like, what? (laughs) Right? What what did he get by... He doesn't look a thing like this guy. He didn't take anything off of this guy that I could see. Right, like a password or something. The meeting was at this time at this place. And if two people showed up saying they were the same guy, it would arouse suspicion. Okay. All right. So he just literally had to kill him. But why didn't he just poison him? He did. That's why he, he vomited. <laughs> then why go in the bathroom to shoot people? I because... just, all right. I'm going to stop. I don't see any point. I got your answer. The answer is we didn't think about any of this. All right. I thought the exact same thing. When he grabbed that glass, I mean, I've spent the past month, our quote unquote Christmas vacation, playing Hitman games. I'm like, oh, he poisoned that drink. We're going to see someone die of a poisoning now. And he's vomiting. But yeah, then he goes in because I guess, hey, bad boys had a kick ass bathroom shoot him up. So let's have a kick ass bathroom shoot him up. Only we forgot the kick ass. Yeah. And then let's do some Scarface too. say hello to my little talent. We got to get to the brother's palace where he can die in the fountain and act like he's Scarface. And... Hey, I like Henry Ian Cusack. He was great in Lost. Okay, I'll take your word at it. He's not great here. Again, we're due a really cool original. I mean, it would be too much to ask for this movie to do something that hadn't already been done in another movie. But something fresh on a hit is all I'm asking at this point. Show me a kill that's inventive and I will stop being Mr. Grouchy Pants. But this scene gives me nothing. The only thing I like here is Kuzik is really playing for the back row. He is completely into his Scarface role. He's got women dressed up like Slave Leia to show he's really human trafficking. They have chains on them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he says he's going over his lines and he means he's snorting cocaine off models' legs. Again, it seems like a desperate attempt to be De Palma. It doesn't feel as fresh as De Palma. Yeah, he's just missing a personality pet like an iguana around his neck or something at this point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the people who were going to see Hitman have never seen... Well, no, I guess Scarface had a resurgence. But by and large, they haven't seen Scarface. Kuzak has seen Scarface. I have fun with him, and he's unrecognizable under that wig. I think he's kind of fun, and eventually he's willing to help. What do you need from me? And what 47 needs from him is 
to die. A funeral. I mean, again, everyone dies so that somebody can come there and then they can be killed. And okay, so help me with this one. All right. <laughs> so if my drug running brother, who I would assume would be the black sheep of the family, no politician would want to be aligned, were to drop dead during a arms buy, like illegal guns were being sold, <laughs> I'm obligated to go to the giant cathedral. Hey. And don't worry <laughs> if the hitman shows up. We'll just release knockout gas and poison. Everyone in the church is going to go down. Hey, if Roger Clinton died at a horror house, wouldn't Bill Clinton still go to the funeral? I don't think he would. Obama has a brother he doesn't talk to. I mean, there are black sheep and you do not see interaction. So before we get to that ridiculousness, we can't forget about how he sets up the hit change on Belikov's double at this point. He has to kidnap the, it's not the KGB, I can't even remember the name of all these agencies, but the... FSB, I don't even know what the FSB is, but yeah, every time they said FSB, I heard KGB. Right. So he goes off to kidnap the the lead investigator on this from a completely emptied out office building. Like, come on. It's an intelligence agency. It doesn't just like close down at five. (laughs) And here's the best part. Okay, he's got him in a tub and you'll be fried if you don't radio your men at the church and say, shoot the guy they're there to protect. Right. Now he's jigsaw. Yeah. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) And they're going to accept that order. We haven't seen you all day, but suddenly your voice comes across the walkie and you want us to kill the one man we are there to give our life for. I think like most of Yuri's men are in on it like they know it's not really belikov uh you know what at this point fine sure whatever we got the scene between belikov and yuri where it seems like i mean i gotta infer a hell of a lot but it seems like yuri came up with this whole plot and then like the belikov double he's talking about his face-off transplant procedure and how much it hurt and now he's like well, I'm the one who looks like Belikov. I'm in charge. So, yeah, I could actually see Yuri being like, screw it, let's kill him. I kept waiting to see if this was a character we had seen with their original face, but we will never know who this guy was. Nah, he had Belikov's face long before this movie began. Yeah, there was no point in it actually being Belikov's double. No. They could have killed Belikov's double and left Belikov alive. If they weren't going to use that to like be like, oh, well, his political things are, we can make him a political puppet and make him be what we want. Yeah, this is Russia. They'll put poison in your soup and new leader comes in. We don't have to pretend you're the old leader. It doesn't, <laughs> like, we don't even bother. We'll throw it in your face. Yeah, we just assassinated them. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's their MO. I mean, the, the idea that they have to go to these clowny shenanigans of let's pretend like we're following diplomacy. <laughs> they were practicing for their Twitter sock puppets. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, at this point, this movie is beyond intelligible. I mean, I literally can't understand anything that's going on somehow Whittier has remained in the plot and gotten through his suitcase full of merchandise and found a crucifix that's also a key inscribed with latin that is also in the church which must mean that he's hiding in the southwest tower because (laughs) all right here's how i took this (laughs) okay let's do it because i was really curious i want to see i'm gonna let you i'm a backup and let you do the triple flip (laughs) axle double whammy you just try to do these gymnastics because what whittier says Mm -hmm. 
is as a consolation prize, Yuri sent us this suitcase. Mm-hmm. Now, Yuri ain't going to send them dick. Mm-hmm. But they got the suitcase because when the hitman had to run out of the hotel, he left his really cool suitcase of weapons behind. Yeah, it doesn't even matter who gave it. Why couldn't they just take it from then? I mean, I don't care how they got the suitcase. But I think okay. the suitcase was sent by 47 with the cross to tell Whittier where to go. Why, why, all right, so, okay, I, I like where you're headed, but why would the cross tell him where Agent 47 was going to hide with the doppelganger? Because it's a key. And because they asked where the key unlocked, and it looks only like the key that opens the abbey in the Southwest Tower, and some random priest <laughs> that wasn't knocked out by the gas <laughs> happened to walk by and said, yeah, you should try that door, he was able to get Agent 47. And Agent 47 specifically wants Whittier to catch him, because Whittier isn't oh, going to that. kill him. Yeah, no, I get all of that kind of Kaiser Sose shit, but yes. I love when they call in the gunships, though. <laughs> Before Whittier gets there, the Russian general is like, screw it, bring in the gunships. And I'm like, does that mean what I think it means? <laughs> they got a fucking helicopter to shoot up the Abbey. <laughs> yeah, now is the time for the knockout gas, but no, we're going to actually destroy this religious landmark. Oh, okay. That's one way to deal with it for one dude. And a guy went, we're supposedly, a guy, do they know that the guy's the doppelganger or did they think that he was the western guy they wanted assassinated? Who knows? I just, I'm thinking of aliens. Just nuke the cypher for That really is the answer, isn't it? The bomb. We're back to 1984 and dropping the bomb. It's awesome. Why not? I wouldn't put it past the scriptwriter. Here's okay, but Stuart, to your question, he had that key in his briefcase from Jump Street. Like he knew that this was the, gonna end up here. So his whole plan? I thought the plan was that the men would shoot this guy and he wouldn't have to even raise his rifle or even be there. Wasn't that the plan? The plan was hit Agent 47 would kill the doppelganger. No, but no, the men were being radioed by the guy in the tub to shoot the doppelganger. But 47 knows they won't be successful. <laughs> Then why? Why on earth kidnap the man and make, why do that? I just, this is a guy with too much time on his hands. And I think you do it because the rubber ducky is part of the game. <laughs> but but oh. did Yuri die still or did Yuri live? We never see Yuri again, do we? Nope. <laughs> I don't understand that whole thing if he knew he was going to kill the guy in the Southwest Tower. You didn't need to do any of that. You had to get him to run to the Southwest Tower by thinking that he was going to be killed. But when did he know that? They caught his briefcase before he knew his mission hadn't worked. But I think 47 sent a second briefcase to tip Whittier off where to go. Oh, okay. These people are too smart for me. I just, uh, let's get to an end here. All right. Knowing how it ends, was it <laughs> worth it? Whittier has got the guy in the car. They're going to finally be able to say, we got our phantom killer bragging rights to the Interpol potluck. <laughs> and suddenly the group of bald guys who you're telling me are not the people that have been trying to kill him. No, they're the CIA. But they're all bald too. <laughs> so what's going on? Stuart, my dad was bald. Do you think he was an assassin? <laughs> I really think they 
need to call a wig maker. There aren't this many bald people in the world as there are on the screen. You need to go to central casting for stuntmen and you'll see very little hair. Okay, I just thought this was the organization that it was trying to kill him, now trying to set him free, and maybe they were never trying to kill him because it was another switchamaru layer. I couldn't figure out what was going on. No, this was the CIA fulfilling the favor for 47 killing the drug dealer. I thought the favor was to buy her the vineyard. That was part. I don't know where the vineyard came from. I thought 47 paid for it. Yeah, possibly. I got that this group was saying they were the CIA, but I wasn't actually sure if they were and they were part of 47's contingency and just pretending to be the CIA, but at this point it doesn't matter. It was just a ruse. When they have that scene, which I absolutely love, it's maybe my favorite scene, is when Nika is sitting across from Agent Smith and handing him envelopes and making facial expressions in response to what 47 is saying over a telephone she can't hear. (laughs) 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 But during that telephone conversation, we find out he is Agent Smith of the CIA and what America's interests are in this whole thing. And Agent 47 says, I need a favor. And Agent 47 pulls some blackmail material we never see. And he goes, all right, I'll try. Okay, that's fine. All right, so throughout all of this, maybe when he came out of the crib, he knew he was going to do all of this stuff in his life. He had plotted it all out, killing the arms buyer and to kill the brother, to get to the funeral, to bypass the gas, to kidnap the guy in the tub, so that it could all happen so that Whittier could go, I think I got you. And like, you know, Roadrunner Coyote style, he ends up falling off the cliff because Agent 47 slips out of the back of the car. Yep. But comes back to bring it all full circle here to the frame story and say, here's a dead body of a bald guy. Make this the fall guy and uh, we're good. And I won't have to kill your children. (laughs) Although I think they might still be dead. Look again, get a flashlight. There's a little tiny hand way in that corner by the milk. And then, again, like I said, the original ending, we get this ending here of him keeping an eye on Nika to make sure she's safe. The original ending, which is on the DVD, is that a car comes around the corner, machine guns her to death, and drives away. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Don't stop there. Just keep going down the cast list. All right, so is he his own man now? Like, will he call Diana for more jobs, or will she send more goons to kill him? Well, there was obviously a goon sent to kill Nika for reasons unknown. Revenge? Sure. I don't know why he killed a person who killed Nika. Right. But does he have a job anymore? Who, Timothy Oliphant or 47? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, good point. But uh, to my point, I thought that at one point, Diana called him personally and gave him information and was trying to say, it's not me, it's the bald people. And then I thought the bald people wrote in at the end to not hurt him so that uh, everything was cool. But then I don't know. He's an independent contractor now. So you ha- you can't call 1-800-DIAL-A-HIT. Okay. You have to find him. Okay. Uh, why don't he just open the vineyard for himself? I mean, I need a drink. Well, let's get one in just a couple minutes. Until then, Justin Stewart, how big of a bounty do you want to put on Hitman, <laughs> Justin? 
You know, I had some hope going into this movie because I really brought no baggage with me. I didn't know anything about the game. I didn't know anything about this movie other than some of the iconography that I had seen in years past. And as we get into this movie, I realize, oh, okay, this could be like a James Bond or a Jason Bourne kind of spy thriller thing. We're not in a sci-fi realm. We're not in a realm of monsters or genetically modified creatures crawling out of a lab. This is going to be a nice change of pace in the arcade. I'm like, okay, cool, let's do this. And about five minutes in, I realized that this movie is suffering from quite a few things. And it wasn't until we sat down now that I found out that, well, a big part of that is probably because the original director got fired, the studio wanted different shots, somebody else's vision came in and edited it, and it feels like that. Once the credits roll, it feels like a mishmash of a bunch of different directions and not a lot of good, fresh ideas. And so it just, at the end of the day, it's, I can't even say I'm disappointed. It was boring, but there was enough there to like keep you watching it. Like if we weren't watching this for the show, I probably would have finished it off because it wasn't that offensive. But Nika had a line about halfway through the movie that I think perfectly encompasses my thoughts on this movie. She said, you don't want to fuck me and you don't want to kill me. I've never felt so much indifference in my life. That to me is this movie. It didn't want to <laughs> fuck me. It didn't want to kill me. It didn't want to entertain me. It didn't want to offend me. It was just indifferent about being a movie. So yeah, I'm going to be indifferent about reviewing it and just say, whatever, Hitman, not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, that I honed in on that line as well. I, although we've made fun of this and pointed out that it's quite terrible, I don't think you experienced this movie as being one of the worst we've ever reviewed. It is numbingly banal. Indifferent is the word. I mean, there is the crumb of coolness is that there is something cool about seeing a well-dressed bald guy with a sniper rifle beating up goons in posh European locations. I mean, I think I just explained Jason Statham's entire movie <laughs> career. People like it. I get that there is something entertaining in and of it, a base pleasure that you could enjoy, but you got to fill that suit with something distinctive. Statham has something distinctive. He can bring charm. He can bring sex appeal. He can fill out that suit. Oliphant's job was to find the thing, and he did not. He has no morals. There is no moral compass. He'll kill the betrayer, and he'll kill the good guy. It doesn't make any difference to him. He has no sex appeal. I mean, unless you really can fall for the boy abducts girl, boy lets girl out of the trunk, boy drugs girl, boy buys girl a vineyard story that we all love. If you don't go for that one, I'm going to think you're going to be left cold on this romance here. I'm putting a lot on Oliphant because I really do think he could have done a lot to make this bad, stupid, implausible story at least surface level entertaining. All they really had to do was be surface, you know, make it feel like the game, look cool, do cool kills, and plot schmot. Who cares? But I think this movie ultimately fails and is the red arrow because it doesn't even work as eye candy. It looks cheap, it looks drab, and there's nothing flashy appealing. I would rather watch the video game walkthrough again than watch this movie. Listen, I mean, I agree. Timothy Oliphonin it in, but... Yeah, he's thinking about what color he's going to paint his kitchen. He is remodeling the deck. He is making a house painter. You know what? I can forgive him for this now because, yeah, that's exactly what he did. I resent the fact that he made millions of people pay for it, but, hey, yeah, I, he wanted a nice house. I think he portrayed the video game character perfectly. Having played this game for a month, 
There's no personality in the character you're playing. And he brought that nothingness to the screen. And he got a house out of it, which is more than I'm getting. I feel like we're owed a tour of the house at least. Right? Can we at least come to the pool and hang out for an hour, Tim? Because, I mean, you made this movie on our backs. Send us a bottle from the vineyard at least. <laughs> but... Yeah, indifference is right. I, I just figure this is the bland identity, and there's nothing more to it than that. Here's the worst part of it. As far as the arcade goes, if we were not now playing a movie review podcast, if we were the now playing arcade, a video game movie review podcast... This would actually probably be a green arrow. It's definitely in the top quartile of video game movies. It's merely banal and ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> but we are now playing the movie review podcast, and this is a red arrow. And we're not done. Timothy Oliphant, I know, but like where we're going to next, I didn't even really... I was at Fox, and I it was a surprise to me when I found out the weekend it came out, summer 2015, that they made some sequel, pulled it out from somewhere. I kid you not. I'm in the movie theater, and I see a trailer for Hitman, Agent 47, and I go, I thought they made that movie. I thought I watched that movie. Did I not watch that movie? <laughs> Am I thinking of another movie? I literally forgot this movie existed to the point that I'm like, is it a sequel? Is it a new movie? Did this movie get delayed seven yeah. years? Has it been on the shelf for eight years? <laughs> Should have been. Is Billy Zane still the star? <laughs> or will they give it to him? Because why the fuck not? Hey, you're bald. Let's just do it. <laughs> Everyone else bald said no. <laughs> Part three. Wong from Doctor Strange. <laughs> Benedict Wong is Agent 47. <laughs> Meanwhile, this Friday, we're going back into the land of Blumhouse Horror with The Visit, M. Night Shyamalan's first respectable film since like Unbreakable maybe or Signs it has been a long while since he's had a legitimate hit that wasn't scoffed at and Visit was a hit I remember even being disappointed I went because I thought it was going to poke fun at something and I didn't quite get the mockery that I was used to with Night so if you're a fan things are looking up if you're a hater well still join us this Friday because there's a lot to talk about with The Visit and we're coming to a close on the M. Night thing. Three films left. We have The Visit, and then we have Split, and then we have Glass. And I bought my ticket for Glass already. Got the IMAX. It is an IMAX movie. I think that might be an M. Night first as well. Yeah, they're talking about, the, I mean, this is going to have a Marvel-sized opening. $70 million at the box office opening weekend. Yes, one of the lesser Marvel opening weekends. You know, an Ant-Man weekend. Yeah. But Marvel nonetheless. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have three weeks left. So if you want to get in on that and hear all of our M. Night reviews, plus to remind you, because it's been a long time because M. Night made way too many damn movies. Way back when we reviewed the Three Mothers trilogy from Dario Argento, as well as Phenomena, leading up to the remake of Suspiria, which is coming out on video right now. If you want to hear our review of that, that is the silver level $10 donation. I definitely think that's a movie you leave having a lot of questions. We had a really deep conversation about what that all meant. Love it or hate it, there was a lot to talk about. And then, gold level, we've got all these M. Night movies. 11 M. Night movies, that's 16 podcasts, less than $2 a podcast. 
And if you go $40 or more, you can also revisit 1980 with three Jamie Lee Curtis horror films from 1980, The Fog, Terror Train, and Prom Night, the original Prom Night. Plus, we do discuss all the remakes and sequels and those as well. So it's like three big reviews and then a dozen mini reviews in there. And then we still are offering the Leprechaun series. If you go to our webpage, nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, you can find that out. Leprechaun is out on video on demand now. We will have a podcast with interviews of the stars and director of Leprechaun Returns coming out in the very near future. And then that review coming around St. Patrick's Day. And Justin Stewart, welcome to a new year in the arcade. (laughs) And you know what? I got a feeling this might be the high point. (laughs) Unless you're really looking forward to Detective Pikachu. (laughs) It can't be worse. Oh, boy. Till next time, game over. I have to go. So much for happy endings. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You did your job, and you did it very well. And for that, my boy, you should be proud. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. What do they want? More of me. Why would anyone want more of you? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. You want me to stop and get it out? I don't know. You think we have time for foreplay? Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Thank goodness you have Interpol to finance your persistence, huh? You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Would you like to know how much you paid for me? 300. American. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Give me what I want, and I'll leave her in peace. I give you what you want. There will be no peace. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. I don't think I can do this. Not in your time frame. Keep reading. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I suggest you and your men follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. 
We determine who we are by what we do. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie. It is a strange thing to wish to die. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I was just going over a few of my lines. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. After all these years, I think you trust me a little more than this. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I wanted you to understand the gravity of this situation. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. This is not a request. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Stop talking or I'll put you back in the trunk. As for the Diana thing, the as for the Diane, Diane or Diana, Diana. I wrote Diana. Yeah, I, I think it is. I'm getting confused with Diane. Yeah. I, I want some donuts and coffee. You know, uh, forty-seven and Nakia. What the hell's her name? Uh, it's not Nadia. Nika. 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 Uh, it's. He had that key in his briefcase from Jump Street. Like, he knew that this was going to end up here. So his whole plan... 21 Jump Street? I don't understand the <laughs> reference. Right. Is that there is something about seeing a well-dressed bald guy with a sniper route. Uh, there's something about a well-dressed bald guy with a sniper route. Ralphle? There's something about seeing a well-dressed bald guy with a sniper route. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> It's just say rifle. It, it makes it, yeah, a rifle. <laughs> Whatever it's going to say, that's what it's going to be. Um, way back when, we reviewed five silver level movies that I don't know. Oh, wait. Oh, Suspiria. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been that long.